take sacrifice to stick to it. Life could be a lot more comfortable if I wasn't spending so much time pursuing these things. But in my case, and I, I'm sure uh, there's a lot of artists out there who feel the same way, um, it either is a choice or it's not. Um, in my case, it's just not. Welcome to the Flying Fruit Bowl, a platform dedicated to the discussion and exploration of art in the creative process. Today is the second and final part of my conversation with Kevin Scott Davis. Please listen to the last week's episode for part one before listening to this part. Thank you very much. Before art, Kevin is an established musician, having spent many decades in the industry with the Glowworm, an ambient rock band that have amassed millions of streams on Spotify. Thoroughly enjoyed getting the chance to talk to Kevin about both his art and his music career. Whether you're involved in the music industry or not, I hope that this part of the conversation offers you a different perspective on the creative process. Okay, so the best way to kind of reintroduce this would be like kind of talk a bit about the band in terms of, so where did the name come from and what kind of type of music do you like making? Okay, so the band Glowworm is the one I'm, I assume you're talking about, which is my current yes. music project. Correct. Um, I, I kind of started it when I was in college. So uh, it's been around for a long time, um, despite the gap between albums. Um, the first album came out in 2008, but I was writing the music in 2005, 2006, 2007. And um, so that would have put me at around 22, 23 years old. Um, well, that would be 2003, 2002. So yeah, I, it was basically, I was, it was all the music I was kind of writing on my own in college. I was in another band in college, um, but I sort of wanted to do my own thing and started writing some tunes and then uh, a drummer uh, and I kind of joined forces in 2007. My buddy, uh, Jesse W. Robert, um, and we holed up at a place in, um, in Utah and just spent like nine days recording the core of this album, mostly recording drums um, based on some of the compositions I had done. And then I finished up back um, back in Portland. Uh, at that time I was living in Portland, Oregon, kind of all over the place to talk about. This is a long time ago, but that was the inception of the band. The name um, to me, I just kind of like the sound of uh, Glowworm. I've since <laughs> doubted it at times, but I think the meaning behind it still holds true, which is, um, you know what a glowworm is, right? Yes. It's a little, it's an ugly little worm, but it glows in the darkness. And I, I like the idea of something very lowly and humble um, that emits this sort of light without, <laughs> at the risk of sounding too histrionic, but that's kind of how I saw myself at the time. Um, and I have another project called Beta Cicada, which we'll probably talk about yeah. later. Um, but there's a, sort of a theme there with these these lowly little bugs, um, the cicadas and the glowworms. That's kind of that's kind of all there is behind it, um, behind the name. But we released that album in 2008, and um, it was fully self-funded, self-promoted. Oh. Um, I was playing in another band at the time as well, so this was just a side thing. Um, but I did a I did a pretty uh, you know I worked pretty hard at promoting it so it got around and people heard it and um, that was the inception. That's super cool though because it's like it's one thing to be like oh yeah let's be a musician but it's nothing to actually be a musician. 
Um, and I think, particularly in today's kind of current climate, it's actually quite hard to kind of really figure out what is it you actually really want to do with your life. Um, yeah. And definitely, like, kind of what kind of passions you want to pursue more than just it being a hobby or a career. Like, you want sure. it to be like something that's going to be solid for you. And I think any kind of creative endeavor is quite elusive. Um, so yeah. I'm kind of curious about, like, so how do you kind of define your music? And also, how do you define it without putting yourself into a box? You're talking genre-wise? Yes, genre-wise, yes. Well, um, it started out uh, very sort of influenced by post-rock, or I guess you could say instrumental rock. When I was in college, I was studying classical music. Um, but I always had, as a player, I'm a guitarist, and I always had kind of a rock bent. So um, to me, that sort of instrumental rock in the early 2000s that was pretty prevalent with bands like... Um, Magwai, and uh, even earlier than that, bands like Slint and, and these sort of post-rock bands were a big influence on me to begin with, because um, I was never that interested in lyrics or singing. So it kind of gave me a way to play the music I wanted to play, which was rock, uh, in an instrumental sort of long form or through composed way, which was, I guess, more what I was studying on the classical side of you know, my, my music education. So that's the beginning, but um, we're talking, <laughs> what is it, 10, more than 10 years later. Um, now that I'm an old guy, <laughs> my music kind of circled back around to having a lot more of that classical influence that I originally studied, but have come to, to sort of uh, value uh, uh, once again. And so this uh, last year, we released an album called Midnight Intervals, and I worked with a bunch of collaborators all from the sort of modern classical scene. I was just extremely lucky to be meeting a lot of these people um, on online forums and Instagram and places like that. And so it's very um, ambient and atmospheric, similar to the first record that we released in 2008. Um, but with a lot of strings, I, I like to compose for strings, so string quartet type type of a feel and blended with, you know, synthesizer and guitar and things like that. So if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have said post-rock. And today I, I would say ambient slash modern classical. Um, if, I, if I was to have to stick a yeah. genre on Yeah. And kind of like, what are your opinions on like having to label yourself or kind of have to kind of try to put yourself in a box or you know kind of because I think a lot of problems with the arts is that you are kind of very much predefined before you define yourself um kind of what's your opinion yeah. on that? I think it can be tough um but I think in some ways it's a necessary evil it, it just depends on what your goal is um if you're a hobby musician and your only interest is to make music that pleases you and you're doing it in your bedroom or whatever then don't worry about it, you know, don't worry yeah. about calling it whatever. But I think that if you're selling your music, it's kind of like the moment you put a price tag on something, there is a commercial aspect to it. Whether you you like to think that or not, I mean, we all as artists, I think kind of want both um, because we want to be able to support our, our own art and um, be able to keep doing that. And that takes money. But I think the minute that you start selling it or streaming it or anything like that, um, labels are helpful for in terms of promotion and in terms of you know your average music fan knowing what they're getting into. There's so many millions of bands out there, um, 
thousands, millions, I don't know what it is, but there's so many, um, there's so much vying for your time these days that I think it's a, it's okay. I used to rail against genres a lot more when I was younger, but I think it's okay to allow promoters and such to call you, you know, it's kind of like that thing where everybody gets compared to Radiohead, but at least the <laughs> general population kind of has a better idea at that point, better ballpark of what they're about to spend some time with instead of, you know, moving on to the next band because it's more specific and, and more familiar. Yeah, because I guess you need like a general kind of touchstone or kind of a general kind of guide of where you fit in to kind of the wider musical spectrum. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, yeah. And I guess I'm actually kind of curious, like, so how do you think that your kind of opinion on your own music has changed as you've gotten, gotten older? Um, I feel like mine's been a kind of a circular arc. Um, I started out really trying to break rules. Um, I think you have a lot, like a lot of, um, when you're young, you have a lot of ambition, you have a lot of ideals and ideas about doing something new. And I've been very humbled uh, over the years. <laughs> you kind of come back around to realizing that um, it's not so much about, well, to me at this point in my life, I think it's more about adding to the conversation instead of, um, making the conversation about myself, I guess you could say. Um, and so, because in between, I guess what I was getting at here too is, I sort of told you about an album that came out in 2008, yeah. and an album that came out in 2020. I did a lot of things in between, but not necessarily with Glowworm. So yeah. I had a side project called Beta Cicada. It was very, very experimental. Um, you know, for a while, all I was listening to was sort of um, sound installations and sound art and, um, I, you know, uh, I got into microtonal music. I just kind of got into this academic world of, um, I guess you could say the more, it belonged more to the art world than the music world in a lot of ways. Uh, I still find that stuff interesting, but um, where I'm at today is kind of a lot more middle of the road. I kind of swung out really sort of left field, I guess you could say, in terms of my explorations. Um, but I've come to value a more traditional approach, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I view my music um, a lot more traditionally than I ever did before. I think I'm more interested in having something to say uh, before I sit down to write a song than just writing a song that's really clever or, you know, I think when you're young, that pursuit kind of, you get caught up in writing music for other musicians um, for the respect and clout you know, and then yeah. uh, you just get older and tamer, I guess, as you, as you get older. But um, there's a something to be said about authenticity. I think it just uh, takes a long time to find your voice. And so I feel closer to, to put a little po a point on this. I feel a lot closer today than I ever have to having my own voice when it comes to music. Because the thing that, that really fascinates me is that I love talking to people from different ages because I think everyone has their own kind of journey. But I think people who are older seem to have like a sense of calm about them as opposed to like when you're young, you have a lot of, as you said, and actually it kind of comes back to what you said about like you have a lot of ambition. And when you're older, those ambitions may or may not have been realized and you kind of settle down a bit and kind of look around you and you're a bit more reflective of the world as opposed to self-reflective. Um, and you I think 
much better than I could have. And I think, <laughs> and I think that it's it's just a really interesting concept because it's like, I, like personally for me, like I always feel like the older I get, the more I should be doing, or the older I get, the more I should have accomplished. And actually, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's like you kind of need time away and you need time to get older and live life a bit more to realize what you're doing has more worth. Um, sure. So that's something that's really interesting. And I've said that that's, I'm like, I'm going to remember that. That's like really, really interesting because I think things are so, like, I, I really love talking to people who are older because it's like, there's just so much wisdom there. And it comes from age and experience that you can't get if you are young and you're just starting out. Um, and it's yeah. also very nice because your art career is very much the opposite where it's, you're almost like the baby because you're starting out in something that's kind of quite new and quite fresh. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's actually really quite nice, like that kind of the juxtaposition between the two worlds where it's like you've mastered one craft, so you're going to just dive into another and do the same. And it's like, that's quite exciting for your future. Thank you. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> you said you mastered one craft. I think I'm just reeling from that statement. Thank you. I'm glad you think yeah. so. Um, yeah, it, that's definitely true. I mean, like like I said, you said it really well. Um, but having said that, I think that that period when you're young, there's no way around it. I think it's oh, yeah. also, it's necessary. And the benefit that you have when you're young is so much energy comes with that ambition. And so I think, you know, there's that time for everybody. Everybody makes use of that time. It's so important um, in starting the journey. But yeah, there's definitely a different flavor to, I mean, I'm probably working harder than I ever have been on um, my music and my art, but yeah, it, it doesn't feel nearly as frantic. I have a better sense of um, what I want to do, I guess, simply put. It's just super what interesting. I don't do is, and what I, what I don't want to do, I, I would say, has become even more important. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because you can yeah. filter out all the things that aren't necessary to you. Um, you know, you're a photographer, and I, yeah. uh, I'm sure it's the same. You know, I don't know. Uh, I haven't had a chance to see your work yet, to be honest, but I know that, you know, a, a photographer working in portraiture may have a real love for architecture, but if you're spending your time trying to be good at that, plus landscapes and everything all at the same time, um, I think you go through a period when you're young where you need to try things out, but the more you can kind of say no to, um, the better you can get honing in on that one thing you, you want to do really well, I guess. Yeah, yo, that's so true. That's so true. And I think something you don't realize. Um, and I think as you get older, because in many ways, I, I don't know if this sounds morbid or not, but in many ways you have less time or you're more aware of the yeah. presence of time. Definitely. I think, you know, you kind of start to realize the mo what's more important to you. Not that you don't when you're young, but you you kind of, like particularly myself, for instance, like like the older I get, the more kind of my worldview changes a lot. And the things I used to think were really important are no longer important. Um, and right. other things are now more important. Um, like, you know, community is more important and conversation is more important. Whereas when yeah. I was younger, those things I didn't care about. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see. Yeah, I think we all fall into that trap of thinking that we just need to work, work, work uh, yeah. at the exclusion of all the other normal uh, living life sort of things. But you, you come to realize that your work becomes pretty shallow if you aren't having, you know, uh, relationships and experiences outside of just creating um yeah yeah okay so let's get back into you and your music okay. um 
So I was really, really impressed. Um, <laughs> probably really awkward, but I was really impressed because you're a multi-instrumentalist and you also produce, you do roaring strings and you mix. So I'm, I'm kind of really, really curious as to like, like you have so many different skills. And like, how did you kind of acquire all these skills and or like, how do they all help you? Um, and do you ever feel like you do too much? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Easily answered that last question. Um, I'm thinking of so many conversations I've had with my friends right now um, because in the digital age, things are moving so fast that I think uh, a lot of people, and this isn't just musicians, but I think a lot of people end up wearing a lot of hats. And I, I don't always know how healthy that is for all of us, but it's like um, at a certain point, music became a lot more accessible as far as production goes. And, you know, um, since the advent of Pro Tools, everybody's been able to basically set up a home studio and start doing everything themselves. Whereas in the old days, you know, you had to go in and pay someone else to do a very specialized job uh, as an engineer, audio engineer, or anything like that. So it's a blessing and a curse. It's like all of these, um, uh, all of these tools became available to everybody at once. And um, so, you know, you think, well, it, it's, I'm going to get into that. I'm going to start to learn that because it's going to save me time, you know, money. Um, but Again, going back to, I'm just now starting to figure out which things um, I want to let go of in order to uh, not water my skills down so much or into so many areas. I just passed on <laughs> a song that I was I was mixing myself, but um, I was, you know, I spent probably three weeks on it, um, just stressing out about it. And finally, I, I just decided to delegate and gave it to somebody else. And I can't tell you the relief <laughs> since I did that. But um, to answer more specifically, how did I get into all that stuff? I, th I think it's if you spend enough time in and around music. I mean, I don't know many musicians that don't play a, at least a couple of in instruments, at least um, professional musicians. I think everybody kind of has a main one. But, you know, I'm a guitarist and... Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in music composition. And I mean, you have to learn piano in college. You have to pass a piano proficiency. Oh. Um, it's, it's pretty, um, pretty standard to do that. And then you play in bands over the years, you know, it just seems to happen. I would not say that I'm a, I'm a very good musician on, on any instrument. Guitar is my main, but, um, People seem to be pretty impressed by the multi-instrumentalist thing, but I think it's more common than, than you think. I think it's actually, um, most times you don't hear about it because it's probably a little smarter um, in terms of marketing for most musicians yeah. to identify or label with one instrument at a time, to be honest. Um, but the mixing has always kind of been a means to an end for me. The production also means to an end. It's not a real interest of mine. It's just... Um, spend so much time with my own music that you know you learn the software but we're talking about in my case 20 years of of doing this so um there are people that are way way better than me at, at all of these different aspects but i think that i'm the most proud of myself now um for finally deciding what i don't like doing <laughs> and mixing is one of them um so that's kind of new for me i don't know if that totally answers everything but no, it does, but it's just 
I don't know. I'm just really fascinated by the idea that you have so much knowledge, you know, whether or not you think it's good knowledge to have or whether or not you think you're great at it. Like there's just so much knowledge for you to have. And it's kind of such a good, very skill set for you to be. Obviously you don't need to be, but to be like a one man band or kind of like you're pretty much your own in-house production team. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and you like, hit it on the head right there. It's, I think it comes from being a one man band. Exactly that for so many years. I don't know. There's just something like that that I'm very much, I very much admire personally on a personal level. I just said the same thing twice. I very much admire on a personal level, like, because I think that's just, I, I don't know, I just think it's really amazing that you can do so many different things and then also use those skills for other people, not just for yourself. Um, yeah. You know. Thank you. Just, yeah. just something that I admire, I guess. I was really kind of, <laughs> I grow over everything, but just to ask that question just because I can. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I, is I think we'll cool. find a lot of artists have a lot of different skills um, in part due to the fact that we need so many random day jobs <laughs> throughout our lives. And so, you know, some of these things kind of overlapped with your overlap with your craft, um, like the audio engineering and things like that. But, you know, I was an AV technician for, you know, um, oh. the Hyatt hotels for a number of years and things like that. So some of these things overlap, um, but yeah, yeah, I've been a, you know, to be an artist, you kind of have to be a scrapper and you're a lifelong yeah. learner too. Absolutely. So that's just been, to me, it seems normal because I've just been, I've just been simply doing it so long. Um, yeah, I won't go further down that rabbit hole, but uh, I, I've just got a bandmate for the first time um, since 2008. Uh in terms of my own music, I've been in other bands before, but I cannot tell you the the relief that it's been to have um, a teammate for the first time in so many years who, you know, I completely trust. And her ability is, it, she was trained as a classical pianist for 12 years. Um, it just took, took off so much of the pressure for me to have to do everything. And I'm sharing about half the work now with Glowworm. Um, I don't know if we were going to talk about that, but uh, her name is yeah. Asha. Um, I was about to, yeah, I was about to say my next uh, question I was going to ask you later about Asha oh, now, actually, is about collaboration. And okay. Kind of yeah. the importance of collaboration within your work. Yeah. Uh, it, it's everything to me at the moment. And um, I think that kind of goes back to the, the you sort of, some things you sort of realize um, as you get older too, just how important, how beautiful collaboration can be. Um, I love the, the process of working with other people. It's a little different now than it used to be for me. I mean, you know, making music with other people used to have to mean, you know, band practice in somebody's basement or attic twice a week. And I did that for years and years and years. And I do miss that aspect. But um, through making this album last year, I met Asha. Um, like I said, she's a, a classical pianist and a vocalist as well. But more than that, I think we connected. We, she helped me on some of the music um, we released last year, and we just really bonded over both our musical tastes. And um, uh, we both have a, a spiritual faith that's the same as well. So sometimes you just find that right person. I felt like it took probably a decade to find this person, but I'm so thankful. I feel so blessed to have her now. And um, it, it's it, in a short period of about, two years, year and a half that we've been working together. 
uh, it's kind of like once you meet that right person, I really can't imagine doing it non-collaboratively now. So I'm a lot happier sharing Glowworm with, uh, with someone and having it be a duo. That's really cool. That's really, that's pretty magical though, because it's not like you, it's not every day that you're able to, to kind of give that part of yourself over to somebody else as well. Because, you know, it, it's it's a very personal thing. Like it's it's kind of your project you've been working on for yourself for so long. And you have to really trust that other person. Um, yeah, Glowworm's been my baby for, you know, in one form or another since I was in my early 20s. I'm 41 now. So yeah, to, to give it to somebody like this, it really had to be the right person. And I think that's why it took so long. But um, she really is the right person. Um, yeah, it's been great. So I really want to talk about the Midnight Intervals album itself, if you sure. don't mind. Um, so the, a few words I wrote down to describe it was um, filmic, ambient, melancholic, and transitional. Um, and I was kind of curious, like, what kind of emotions do you want people to feel? Or what kind of emotions were you going for? Or do you even have an idea of, of kind of how you want people to feel when listening to it? Uh, your descriptive words were perfect. I mean, that that it very much was a transitional album for me. Um, so on a personal note, you know, there was this big gap between the last Glorum album and, and this one of more than 10 years. Um, I released other albums in that time with other projects, but this was really a kind of a return uh, and a transition to kind of a new life. Um, I'm three years sober this, this year, just hit three years sober. And so to me, uh, it was kind of felt like an album I had to make. I really had some struggles there for a few years and um, did this, uh, you know, sort of mental health thing and got a lot better and felt like I had to make this album. A lot of it were pieces of things I was kind of writing um, throughout the years, sort of in and out of these dark places. And so the whole album is based on sort of the um, theme of the dark night of the soul um, inspired somewhat by St. John of the Cross in his book, um, who was a Catholic mystic. So uh, I've got that whole thing going. To me, the album is a nighttime album in terms of uh, both the dark night of the soul on a personal and sort of uh, aesthetic level. And then also, uh, I'm really in an atmosphere and I was just sort of living in my imagination in a nighttime world as I made the album. So that's kind of what I want people to experience is this sort of quiet, uh, almost holy place, but you've got that sort of uh, unsteadiness in the nighttime, you know, with the absence of light where um, it's sort of solitary. But there are moments, it's a pretty dark album to be honest, but I think there are moments, especially um, uh, the places where Asha uh, sings, especially, are meant to be sort of like these uh, ethereal experiences that break through um, sort of the darkness. I, I feel like I'm <laughs> uh, becoming, I'm speaking like it's, I, I keep using the word histrionic, but I hope not. Anyway, so that's kind of what I want people to experience is something beautiful, um, something hopeful by the end. It definitely ends on a, a, a note of hope, but I think I always had in mind that this was not a singular album. It is definitely leading into the next one, which we're working on now. 
So where Midnight Intervals was the nighttime album, the next album is going to be the the, the dawn breaking, the daylight album. Oh wow! Um, and so, and it's also the first album uh, I'll have Asha as a permanent member of the band. So she kind of came on helping me with Midnight Intervals. That was a very personal album to me. And now that we're a duo, um, I don't know if you've heard her work, but she does her own music too. And everything she does is just so full of um, this ethereal, this sort of light and beauty. And um, so our sound is changing somewhat. And I think a lot of the dark stuff is going to fade away. And I'm, I'm really excited to, of course, not without losing my style or anything, but I'm really excited to introduce people to the, the next album. See, I think without trying to read too much into it, it's, it's very, I try the best way to articulate this. It's almost like the albums are a very good reflection of you as a person and your life, because it's like you were in this darker place and you're creating this album that's quite dark. And then somebody who's a lot more ethereal and lighter came into your life and that reflects in the actual work. And then now your next album is going to be more lighter because like they're pulling you out of that darker place. Like it's kind of, it's very metaphoric for your actual life, which is quite interesting. So I don't know if that's something that's actually even deliberate, but it's kind of really interesting in terms of like how your art can be reflected, how your personality can reflect through your art, even subconsciously without even really realizing it. Um, I don't know if that's something we thought about, but something that strikes me when you said that. I was like, that's really cool. I think that's absolutely right. I think if you were my therapist right now, you <laughs> you would be hitting it on the head. Um, I actually love that you said that because um, I love that I didn't have to say it myself, but uh, definitely there's a personal aspect of this other person coming in. But I also feel like, um, I'll just be really honest here and say that, that there's a tinge of regret, to be honest with you, in the way that I approached art when I was younger, uh, in so much that I, it was so much about me. Uh, I was always sort of, you know, the, the vision of the artist was the most important thing to me. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of forget what everybody else thinks. I don't care. I'm going to make what I want to make. And I think when we're young and ideal, that's probably a pretty common um, perspective. Also, I think it's kind of a myth that's been, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, proliferated uh, about the artists throughout the last few decades. But again, I think you get to a place on your journey where you start to realize, well, if I'm making this music and it's going out into the entire world, um, it actually really does matter to me how it's affecting others. And um, so Asha, coming in it has helped me to let go this project being just about me as well, both on a literal level, but also in terms of the more forward-facing music that we're currently working on. And as I said, I think Midnight Intervals was just necessary. Um, I needed to do it for myself after coming back from, you know, uh, basically so many years of rehab and, th and these things. Um, not literal rehab, I wasn't ever in rehab, but counseling and AA and these things like that. Uh, I needed to know that I could do it again. And I, I've just been blessed beyond um, I ever thought I could be. So I'm rambling a little bit now, but you, oh, no. you're really right about um, 
it telling my personal story, but I, I really believe, and I'm, again, I'm 41 now, that I'm just at the beginning now. <laughs> yeah, like for me personally, it's very exciting to see. And it, it, I don't know if it sounds silly or not, but it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, because I think, you know, sometimes you feel like, oh, if you get to a certain age, you know, you're kind of not you're no longer relevant, but like, you know, like your life has to stop because you've got other commitments or like that you're kind of creative, your ambitions and your dreams have to, you know, not really be at the forefront. And I think actually, I think someone like you just goes to prove that it doesn't matter how long it takes, you know, you can still pursue what you want to pursue. And actually that, that gap, you know, rather than trying to, you know, actually pursue something every single day for you know 10 years maybe taking a break is actually the best thing you can do for yourself and for your for your career and for your passion um and it's something that i think is a very 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 valuable lesson um i must say thank you yeah it's not easy in some ways uh feeling like a beginner again at this age it definitely takes sacrifice to stick to it um life could be a lot more comfortable if i wasn't spending so much time pursuing these things but in my case, and I, I'm sure uh, there's a lot of artists out there who feel the same way. Um, uh, it, it either is a choice or it's not. Um, in my case, it's just not. So I actually really want to ask you about um, the titles of the tracks, because the titles, oh, yeah. are, the titles are quite interesting, actually. Um, so obviously, like you have dusk, you have psalms, you have stones in the sky, you have December as in May. And I just kind of wanted to ask you just about kind of the idea of words and visuals as, you know, a producer and a musician in terms of like, obviously, visuals are very straightforward. You know, people are obviously going to see music videos, cover art. Um, but like, how did the titles kind of reflect the sounds? Because if there's not a lot of singing or there's not a lot of lyrics, you kind of have to yeah. give people an indication without kind of giving them any kind of indication. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think because I don't write music with lyrics, um, well, I shouldn't say that I never do. Occasionally we do. We've got some stuff with lyrics now. But um, on that album, definitely. Uh, it's like you kind of have one shot with the title if you want to sort of um, associate it with, with any sort of didactic meaning i guess i tend to um sort of err on the side of letting it be about whatever the listener wants it to be so i try not to tell people um what songs are about but at the end of the day you've got to call them something (laughs) yeah um and so you know uh i said that this album for me was was kind of based on the dark night of the soul so there's a lot of religious um verbiage to me, uh, Psalm, you know, obviously was literally yeah. a Psalm or our version of one. Um, Stones in the Sky was kind of inspired by the, uh, you know, the stone, uh, Jesus crypt um, being rolled away after the third day and then him, his ascension to the sky. Some of these things are so loose that I think they probably only yeah. make sense to me, but there are, they have, more to do with kind of how, what I was picturing. Um, I think very visually uh, associated with the notes, you know, with the music. I'm, I see pictures and I see atmospheres and places a lot as I'm composing. I think probably instrumental music lends itself to that because I'm not thinking about so much um, a lyric or a verse or anything like that. 
Um, and then sometimes uh, I read a lot too. So a lot of my titles will come from books and things like that. I can't make, even take much credit for those, but um, December as in May, it comes from the, the uh, saying, will you love me in December as in May, which I think originated uh, in Ireland a long time ago, but it, it has to do with um, uh, farmers would say that <laughs> as a way of saying, you know, will you love me when times get tough? Um, just the same as you do when things are, are good. So it's a story of kind of a marriage, a marriage vow, but um, that's the last song on Midnight Intervals and it kind of hints at, to me, that's the hint. It's also a, more of a major, uh, it's in a major key as opposed to a lot of the minor key songs on that album. And as the album is closing, um, December and May is sort of the hint at a brighter, spring perhaps to come so that's a big rambling answer but there you go no that's that's <laughs> perfect and that's why I've, i was really curious because i because i'm a huge fan of words um and i actually have a very long list so because um, i'm slightly nerdy what i do and i read a lot as well so what i do is i always if i read something and i say like a really nice line or a quote i'll copy and paste it and i'll type it into a word document so I have a really long word document with just random words that are going to be like titles for future images or just things I'm really interested in. And like quotes, if I read a quote that I really like, I'll compare it to that. So it's like one long rambling word document. I can I send it to you if you like. That I can send it to you if you're interested. That's um, uh, very similar to what I do. I have a notebook. I, I do like field note, notes, notebooks. And um, yeah. I have one just for song titles. And I usually get song titles completely separately than when I'm working on the music. And sometimes I'll just go, I'll write the music first, oftentimes yeah. actually, and then I'll go back and need to find a title, but I have a whole collection of themes and, and you know, phrases that I've saved. Yeah, that's perfect. I was going to say that's just such a good idea because yeah, sometimes the title can inspire the work, sometimes the work can inspire the title. It kind of just right. goes both ways. And I think that's, I'm always fascinated by titles. I think it's things people don't really talk about that often. It's actually one of the most important components to a piece of work. And no matter what work that is, the title is going to be what people are going to remember it by. So, you know. It's so funny too, because, you know, (laughs) sometimes I'll write, I'll spend a month on a song and three months trying to find the right title. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So um, I'm also very interested in how you actually balance everything. Like, how do you, like, how do you manage your time? Because you have, you know, the art you're doing, you have music you're doing, you also have a family, you also have a life. Um, So I'm actually just curious, just generally, like how do you actually manage everything and how do you balance everything, if you do? Yeah, yeah, good question. Do I? <laughs> um, it's hard. Um, you know, I'm I'm really lucky to have a very supportive wife, um, but we've struggled financially and, you know, still do um, every day. You know, I, I'm still kind of looking for the right day job at, at 41, <laughs> for better or worse. Um, yeah, of course. For a good few years there, I was totally supported by music, but we're back in a season now where that's not the case. So I'm back to looking for a day job at the moment. And uh, I think I just would rather be honest about that because, you know, I'd like to sit here and say, oh, it's so hard, but you just find a way. But, you know, I I'm, I haven't found a way in some way still. Um, but I've always been an artist. You know, I've worked full time in for many years in various companies and places and uh 
you know, the art part just doesn't change. If I'm working full time at a day job, I come home and I work my other job, which is making art. And if I am um, making enough money from my art and I can slow down and, you know, do a part time job in the past, but it's a challenge. And then, you know, I don't know why I do this to myself, but I've added this extra component of sort of going back to learning drawing and learning, uh, learning this new craft. Um, but on that aspect, uh, I still consider music to be sort of my, my full-time um, craft, but the music really, uh, I'm sorry, the drawing for me, uh, my rule for myself or my limitation I put on myself when I allowed myself to do it um, was that it had to be enjoyable and, um, you know, I had to enjoy doing it and not put a, pressure, a lot of pressure on on myself right away to be any good at it. And I think right now that's working for me because I can do that in the evenings. I found music uh, I have a lot higher standards with. And so it's very, very, it takes a lot of concentration. And that's the kind of thing I get up um, first thing in the morning and I work on music, but drawing um, because of this beginner's mind thing, it's a lot easier to inhabit a space that's less pressure and I can do it outside of quote unquote work. In, in the evening times. Um, luckily, I have a family that's just used to me sort of, you know, being holed up, doing some project or another. Uh, my son is very much the same. So we do hang out, you know, we have a uh, family pizza night every Friday night. We have movie nights and things like that. But half the time, if you if you ask Elliot, my son, if he wants to do something, he'd rather be building something with Legos by himself anyway. So we're kind of, um, you know, and my, my wife's a photographer, so I'm lucky to, to live in an environment where we're not, you know, having to attend little Sally's birthday get together every other weekend or whatever. It's just because I kind of realized it's not something I ask um, that many artists and it's something I really should ask more artists because a lot of the artists I know that listen to the podcast and a lot of artists that I communicate with are artists who might be older, who have families, who have other commitments outside of just making art. And I think it's kind of, when you're young and you don't have any commitments, it's, it's not easy, but it's easier to just create. But once you have yeah. a family and you have commitments and you have things you know you really have to attend to that you can't just be like, oh, you can wait till tomorrow. You have yeah. to then kind of find the motivation and the kind of time to craft you know, to do stuff and, and do your craft and kind of make time for things. You'd have to make more time for things, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes you just have to get up earlier and <laughs> I'm still working on that one, but I think you have to really face, you have to really face it when it's, it comes down to either you're not going to be making anything or you're going to be sleeping in later. How important is it to you? You know, and then a lot of the people who ask me, this is kind of cliche. I've heard this said a lot, but it's so true. A lot of people that ask me, you know, how do you find the time to do all this? Um, I just, you know, they say, I just don't have the time. I can't do that. I can't learn this because I don't have the time. But they're the people that tell me they just binged watched like, you know, three seasons of The Walking Dead or whatever. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's priorities, you know, I guess. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Sometimes yeah. I feel like a little bit of a masochist the way I live my life, but <laughs> it takes a certain amount of intentionality. And I think it's very easy in our culture to go along with kind of what everybody else is doing. Um, so it's been a practice um, 
for, for the majority of my life. Self-mastery is something I'm really interested in, you know, uh, again, still a long ways to go on that one, but I think going through the recovery um, has really changed me as well and helped me to see um, what living intentionally means. This, I feel like I said this to every single artist I interview, but have you ever considered teaching? Because I think you would actually be great at it. It's funny because um, I told you I'm looking for the right day job again. I have an interview coming up. <laughs> where I may end up doing some teaching. It would be online. Um, Funny thing is, um, you know, uh, in college, most of my colleagues who were graduating with a music degree along with me were pretty sure that they were going to end up teaching. I just never wanted to teach music. Um, However, I always said, you know, if I was going to teach, it would be art. So uh, it's one of those things. I think it's been a little bit of a dichotomy with me as I am a musician but um uh, I was identified with artists primarily so to answer your question I think I would teach art I don't think I would teach music <laughs> I've been teaching generally I can imagine you being a really good teacher just from the way you talk and the passion you have and kind of just the relatability you have like there's so many things you said that I'm like I can see like a lot of my like if I'm like you in the future I'd be very happy um can we record this and give you my <laughs> reference for this? Coming up? <laughs> Thank you. But like, no, like, like seriously, like a lot of things you said, like I can very much relate to, like in terms of like, you have a lot of self-discipline in your craft and, you know, you maybe you'll, you maybe you'll forego things that, you know, maybe like, you know, you could probably relax a bit more. You could probably spend a bit more time doing things that, you know, every else do and or kind of, you can probably spend more time just kind of being less harder on yourself about things possibly. Um, yeah. Not that I'm trying to be your therapist or anything, uh, but <laughs> something there. <laughs> but you know, I, I you know that's like kind of very similar to how I am um, personally. So it's kind of very it's it's humbling in a way for me to have this conversation with you because it's it's very nice to kind of meet somebody who's who know who. Although you say you don't know what you're doing, you very much do know what you're doing, um, and it just gives me a lot of personal hope for my future. Um, oh, well, so thank you. That cool. means a lot to me. I'm glad it does. Like it really does. And this is also why you're very good for this podcast, as I said to you last week. (laughs) I told you you'd be good. So, well, you know what they say about, you know, um, teaching is kind of the best way to internalize things yourself. Absolutely. Um, I'm kind of experiencing that through talking through these questions. You know, this is the first (laughs) podcast interview I've ever done, but it really helps to kind of, um, put a point on things that you think, you know, develop some personal statements. It's, it's, um, I think teaching probably does the same. Yeah. I just think I can just imagine you'd be very good at it. And I, I know, I know I probably say that in every single interview to every single artist, because I kind of realized artists are amazing people, but they just don't, I feel like they don't seem to realize it themselves, how powerful and how impactful they are and their words can be. And I think from somebody who just really loves art and who does art, who is a creative deficient say that but who's creative in some aspects i think i'm very inspired listening to people talk um and having these conversations which is why i do them but it's just like it makes me like stunned that that the people i speak to have never thought about it or they're like yeah i've thought about it or they're like oh do you think so and it's like i don't say it lightly although i probably say it to everybody i don't say it lightly because i feel like you know it's kind of the saying like people are very interesting but they don't like talking um yeah I can relate to that, but I, but I also know that there really has been a shift. Um, I mean, and maybe, I don't know if you agree, but it seems like 
more and more. Um, teaching has become more of an avenue for artists to not only to make a living, but also to promote their work, you know, doing yeah. YouTube tutorials yeah. and things like that. Um, you know, most of my favorite artists out there have given me something in that yeah. regard because I'm a voracious, just, I love learning and, you know, I'm always on, I spend a lot more time, you know, doing <laughs> probably listening to podcasts and sort of ingesting tutorials than I do seeking out the newest album on Spotify or whatever. Yeah. But if you, if you find a person who becomes like a long distance mentor like that and they make stuff, you're going to, you're going to go, you know, get whatever they've made just because you have a personal loyalty to that person. So I really think, uh, teaching is a great way to go. It's amazing that you, you know, thank you for saying that, that you think I would be okay at it. Cause, um, maybe that's on the horizon. <laughs> I hope so. I really, I generally do. I hope so. I appreciate um, that. I really do. Right. So sorry. I was like a, a long tangent about what I think you should do with your life. Not that you're not already doing enough, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, man, this is good therapy. <laughs> so we'll move on to social media. So I think one of the kind of biggest points of contention for a lot of artists or creatives um, is social media and kind of the managing of social media, which can almost be a full-time job by itself with the creation of art, especially in your case, when it's music and art and social media and a family yeah. and everything else. Yeah. Um, so kind of like, what are your thoughts on social media? And do you enjoy it? I find it I find it difficult um, in terms of promotion. Um, I think you need to delegate in some cases if you can. <laughs> I think if uh, if you know you're you're not the kind of person who I don't want to say not cut out for it because if it is your job, if, um, I mean social media is a huge part of an artist's work these days because you know especially visual art Instagram is one of the primary um, tools for promotion so I think it is important to take seriously but in in my case I can't say that I've had a ton of success with it yet and I think that's that's largely due to the fact that um, it's kind of like you've got your toe in the water <laughs> and you really need to commit to get something back out of it. You need to put a lot into it. And I don't know if I've really gone that far with it yet. So I do find it hard. On the music side, uh, I've, I've found it to be really, really wonderful as far as connecting with collaborators and friends and just other musicians as a support system. And in terms of just being inspired, um, again, like on the art side, it's I was actually surprised that you invited me to do this. This is the first thing that sort of um, is on the fringes of, of any sort of, I could categorize as uh, business. Um, not that it feels like business, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I was doing this, posting my drawings things just as a way of documenting my progress. I just really wanted to see what my drawings look like, you know, today as opposed to a year from now. And so I really wasn't expecting any attention um, from anybody, but uh, it, it's got me thinking, you know, I've tried to be consistent. I've tried to just let it happen. And it's, it's ironic, but I've uh, probably been getting a trickle of steadier followers on my art side than on the music side. Um, <laughs> because I think it's immediate anyway, kind of going into the weeds here, but 
I th what I'm trying to say is that posting a drawing a day or every other day or every three days is uh, a lot easier to me than having to have new musical content. I think I'm talking about Instagram here. I think it's just the nature of the platform is visual. And so it just lends itself to that. And it was almost a, a breath of fresh air when I went over and started posting drawings. It's like, my goodness, this is so, you know, I just scan it and then it's already ready. To, you know, I've already drawn it with music, you know, it, just to be able to share a music, you've got to upload into a video editing program, maybe put some visuals to it, or you've got to set up and have a camera, um, yeah. you know, a studio and a camera set up to be able to perform something live. And, you know, then you're on the camera yourself and that's a whole set of other uh, anxieties and nerves and things like that. So in terms of the platform, having tasted both sides, uh, Instagram is a much, um, has an advantage for a visual artist by far um with the music when i it tends to be i i will use social media more when i'm promoting an album like i did last year but um i hope to uh i don't want to say too much but we're looking to actually work with a record label on our on our next release which would be oh. uh hopefully next year and I'm hoping that that will um, take care of a lot of the more online promotion. Yeah, aspects. of course. I was trying to do everything myself last year and I was definitely spread too thin. Um, so I'm not going to say that I hate social media. I think it's necessary. I think it can be very beautiful. I, I, I love it when communities, you know, do community hashtags and um, community projects and things like that. Um, but I think you have to give as much as you expect to get. Yeah. Um, so I'm still figuring that out. Um, but people seem to like uh, watching the progress with the drawings. And that's something that um, I'm going to do anyway. So it just feels really natural to post it up. You know, with music, uh, it's harder to share because I'm on my computer composing most of the time. Yeah. And uh, you can't really take a picture of that. I mean, you could take a picture of your computer every day <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah yes it's true but i think um there are better avenues for things like that like youtube um you know i agree I because guess, i think I guess I'm talking yeah about Instagram. and i thought i think also it's interesting to see how people react to art and music differently yeah because i think it's, it's easy to forget that they're very different kind of creative outlets and that actually the responses aren't exactly the same and the responses are, you know, very personal because art and music are very personal to each person. Yeah. Who both they're both the experiencer and the creator. So I think it's kind of very interesting because your emotions that you put into your art and emotions you put into your music are, are very very different. Um, yeah, yeah, that's also really interesting to consider. Yeah, uh, and they both have advantages and they both have disadvantages. I guess you could say, but um, you know. I think art has that immediate impact a lot of the time that music lacks. It's much harder to get somebody to stop scrolling to listen to a, a piece of music. But on the other hand, uh, I think music can be wider reaching in some ways, you know, yes. uh, because it's going out to, you know, when I look at my listener stats, it's so much fun to see um, people in Turkey and, and, um, Russia and just all over the world and different little cities dotted all over the map of people listening to something that I've made. 
and spending time with it in that way, in a very personal way, in their home, um, that's very, very rewarding. And I think it's harder for artists to get people to spend as much or as long of a period of time with a painting um, than it is to, you know, for music. But art has the advantage of making that initial impact very powerfully, where music kind of is a grower. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually a really great put it, actually. That's a very good way to put it. And it's just kind of very interesting, the kind of, the conflict between the two in terms of, like, the to grabbing people's attention. That's really interesting, actually. Um, so I also wanted to ask you about the idea of, you know, the reward-driven society. Um, and kind of, like, do you feel like that, that the fact that we live in a society that, you know, is very reward-driven, do you think that affects the way that artists create work and or kind of, like, the goal of their work? Reward, meaning what exactly? So like people, for instance, like people who decide to create art because they want to make money when that's not necessarily the case. And or, you know, it's like they want fame. They, they might be chasing something like they might be chasing fame or they might be chasing like, you know, popularity. That's fame. They might be chasing fame or like fortune as sure. opposed to like they're doing it for the love of the craft and because they feel like they've got something to say. Yeah. And then what was the question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> so the question was like, do you think that um, the reward-driven society affects the way some people approach like the creation of, of art? Yeah. Um, definitely it does. Um, you know, I'm trying to avoid sounding negative because um, I think I said this in part one, but... It's kind of like, it depends on, on what your goals are. The minute that you want to sell anything, you're taking part in, at least to some small degree, um, commerce in a business transaction. So, you know, if I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to figure out how to reap rewards from your craft and your art. But I think you're talking about in terms of that being the driving motivation yes. and it being so easy to yeah. lose sight of doing it for the sake of craft. I, I will say that I have the, it's both a disadvantage, but also an advantage at this point in my life, having had very few years in my 41 years of actually making a full-time living from my art. Uh, it has happened in seasons, but never consistently. So I'm still working on it. So I can speak from that end of things and say that um, in many ways, I don't really know <laughs> what that feels like to be. Um, I, I guess I could see it in others. Um, I try not to judge, but I don't know what it feels like to be driven by fame or money <laughs> because I, that, that time has come and gone and I'm still doing it. So it, for me, I've, I've always believed I'm the type of artist and I know that I'm not special. I know there's plenty out there that woke up in this world and were just artists and don't really have a say in the matter. Um, that might sound a little dramatic, but, uh, I'll be doing this, you know, there's no retirement for me. There's no, the reward is in the process for myself. And that is the way I live every single day of my life. So it's very hard for me to picture anything else. Um, like I said before, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes along with that. And sometimes it's hard because it's sacrifice. Um, you know, I'm sacrificing 
to some degree my wife and son's um you know well-being if you want to call it that um we could have a bigger house we could have you know a more comfortable life and so it does get hard as you get older because as you said when you're young and you're only responsible for yourself um being an artist takes a certain degree of selfishness and so um the reward driven <laughs> i'm laughing at myself because this is devolving into i don't know what <laughs> but i guess okay here's a specific example um i grew up you know i grew up in a christian uh music kind of a world because I, I grew up in church and things like that um fell away from that for a number of years i, I never lost my faith but um certainly walked away from Christian music, I guess you could say. And I have sort of always felt looking <laughs> askance, I guess, at this alternate path. I see people that I know who have continued to work in the Christian music industry constantly be rewarded for, um, <laughs> I have to be careful what I say here. This might be one yeah. of the parts of the interview I want to review before you. That's fine, no, that's fine. But there, there has been throughout the years this feeling like, okay, well, I, I'm it almost feels like you're being punished for sticking to making at least what I feel is the most genuine version of my art as I possibly can and staying true to that because um, there is, I think you're right, a lot more. Um, rewards whether they're you know long lasting or not it does seem like there are a lot more rewards for people who can sort of tailor their craft to be more marketable yeah. um so i think that's kind of what you mean and i was just using christian music as an example uh it hurts my heart to a degree to to see you know uh the worship of god become a very very monetized yeah commodified uh, yeah commodified uh type of artwork uh but i tend to just keep my hands out of it uh, i don't yeah. know what that yeah. means i know there are good people working in it i know there are lots of good people working in it but um yeah it's it's tough uh i try to stay out of both the judgment of that and also the participation in it well said yeah, and that's very fair. That's very fair. And actually segues very nicely into my next question, which is about success. So what does it mean to be a successful artist and how do you measure the success of your own work? It's, it's a definition that has changed a lot for me over the years. Um, I think initially I just, my time has always been so valuable to me, probably above anything else. I'm not driven by money for better or worse, <laughs> but I've always wanted to make a living from my art um, simply because it's tough to take the time it takes to make it all and to have another job. So that was my definition to begin with. And I still think that's a goal of mine. Uh, and this may sound cliche, but you know, at the end of the day, the success for me is the showing up every day and continuing to believe um, in the ways that art can change 
me from the inside out. Um, I think ending up with a body of work by the end of your life, you're really ending up with a lot of, um, it's just a documentation of a huge amount of personal growth. Like if you think about how much each piece can teach you, um, you know, each piece is made up of a, a, thousands of little micro decisions. And yeah. if you're going through that day in and day out, again, I, I don't want to sound cheesy, but this is just kind of where I'm at today. This is kind of how I'm thinking today. Ask me tomorrow. This might be different. But my definition of success is um, just really living that out. Um, I hope and I pray that at some point um, I'll be able to, you know, be a little more financially stable and just have a little more freedom, uh, a little more lateral movement this way and that way in my life. But um, the success to me is just doing it, just showing up every day and doing it. And um, especially uh, when I hear back from the people that are touched by any part of that art that I've made um, with music is so, so rewarding. Uh, when you get an email from somebody saying, I know you don't know me, but you know, this album I listened to every day when I was going through a really hard time in my life, my, my album's kind of, my music's a little bit sad and it tends to, tends to stick to these people who I think have struggled with things like depression and, and such. And I can really relate to that. So, um, for whatever reason, whatever's the, the struggles that I've had that I put into my stuff seems to parallel um, when it speaks to other people's experiences. And I think that's also the part that's really rewarding for me. Yeah, I agree. That's not cheesy. I think if this is how you feel, it's how you feel. You shouldn't be um, like self-conscious of how you feel. If that's how you feel, it's how you feel. You know, I, that's what I love about having these conversations. That everybody has a different experience, and 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 it's, I love the fact that your answer now might not be your answer tomorrow. That's absolutely perfect. You know, I think that that's actually very beautiful. Actually, um, yeah, yeah. I guess I, I just wanted to make I don't know make it more clear that I think the first half of my answer was my personal success, but more and more. I'm hoping that uh, success will grow into a more community-based thing. With the with the music we're doing now, we're looking for ways to serve people. We're still trying to find our voice, um, but yeah, it gets picked up by a lot of people who are into like meditation and yoga or the sort of healing aspect. And so, I think I have yet to say, see in some ways um, what success will look like, but. Um, we're heading in that direction where I think it, it may be in terms of um, simply helping people, healing people, that sort of thing. My next question for you is from the previous artist I interviewed, a really, really great photographer called Trent Loder, um, from also from the US. Um, and his question for you is, if it was the last day on earth and you could create one piece of art, what would you create? I would create uh, a song with my partner, Asha. Um, we'd have to do it quickly. <laughs> That's a good question because is there anyone around after that? No, this is, no, this is exactly what I was going to say. It's like, that's the great thing about this question is that 
the whole idea was like no one's going to see it or hear it necessarily yeah. because it's the last day so from the time you create it it will never be actually received by a wider public just really by you i think i'm learning something about myself here that's a good question trent um because i think my, i stand by my answer i think the reason subconsciously that i said that was i'm gonna make myself cry here <laughs> but i think so much of my joy in making art the last two years has been because of the collaborative aspect of it and so if it was something that wasn't going to last you know it was something that nobody would hear um at the very least i could be participating in creating something with another human soul and to me i can't think of a better way um and this one in particular um i'm just so blessed to have this this partner um in Glowworm. Yeah, I can't think of, you know, I could choose to maybe do a drawing because I love the, the meditative aspect and just the process of drawing. But if I had the choice to spend one one last day, um, it, it would be with my partner making art. That's, that's really amazing. Also, because when he said it, he was like, oh, this is so cliche. And it's not. And I said, that's a great, I said, it's a great question. Not what I would have ever thought of. No, it, it makes yeah. you think for sure. Yeah. It makes me think I should spend less time doing selfish <laughs> work and maybe more collaborations when I really think about it. So do you have a question for the next artist I interview? I think some of them you've already asked me, like what, you know, what does art making mean to you? Um, What's your purpose or goal for making art? Uh, there's a bunch of questions that are probably just selfish to me because they're things that I want to know, like, you know, what's your definition of success when it comes to making art? I'm always really interested in listening to other artists uh, answer that one. But it's a bit cliche too, maybe. Um, <laughs> totally failing you. <laughs> um, okay, I think at the core of everything that I do, there's always been this obsession with uh, the role of the artist. For me, this I'll just give a little quick background, but it goes back to um, this story by Nathaniel Hawthorne called, called The Artist of the Beautiful. And the protagonist in the story is named Owen Warland. And he he's not what you would think of as a typical, he's not sitting there with an easel and paint type of artist. He's a watchmaker. So he makes these oh. really intricate, um, he's a craftsman, you know, and he works on making watches, but Hawthorne uh, named him the artist of the beautiful. It's a very tragic story in a way, but it's, it's stayed with me since like a freshman in high school English class I had. Um, and so this, I've always sort of been obsessed with what does it mean to be an artist? Um, what is the role of artists? So I guess for the next, your next interviewer, if this isn't too broad, I would ask them, you know, what do you think the role of uh, the artist in society is? Probably a massive question, I, but I don't know if I can do much better than that. No, that's perfect. Okay. See, this is the thing, as you probably noticed, I love questions that are very broad and open because i think they they you know conversations people don't really often necessarily always have um, sure and not at such length and not at such kind of depth i think um um so my next question for you is is being an artist liberating isolating or both 
I would say liberating. Um, you definitely spend a lot of time alone, but um, I think that's a part of my nature. Uh, I don't have trouble with that. I, I know there are a lot of artists who are more extroverted who struggle with that, but um, I don't, I'm a hermit. <laughs> uh, and I guess I choose liberating in the sense that um, you don't need much um, to sort of <laughs> journey uh, internally. Do you know what I'm saying? I do know exactly what I'm saying. Um, there's just not, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine a more rewarding, liberating life than the, the internal life that you live on a day-to-day -day basis being an artist. It's a struggle, but it's, it's so rewarding. So I would definitely say liberating. I think it's like, it's meaning, it's meaningful on a very different level. I think, I, I think something you touched on earlier about kind of society as a whole and kind of like, there's a lot of shallowness, particularly at the minute, I think with commercialism and it's like being an artist and just creating something because you can create it. I think that taps into a different part of uh, people that they're used to really seeing in the forefront. Um, so I think that's something really interesting to consider about, you know, when people kind of bash artists and be like, oh, you know, they're very kind of, you know, you know, just when the people are very like, negative towards the arts. And I think that's just very unnecessary because to be honest, you are kind of looking at a different kind of side of life and you have a very different perspective and a different vantage point because uh, you're creating things with a different meaning. You're living life with a different purpose, I guess. Um, yeah, or you can say that everyone else is living life with a different purpose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we kind of all start out the same way as children in this sort of liberated creativity. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think sometimes... Not to separate artists out as better than anyone else, but I think sometimes um, artists are the ones that were brave enough to remain the same. And it was it's everybody yeah. else that kind of begins subscribing to society's ideas about what we're supposed to be doing. And a lot of that revolves around capitalism, at least in this country and, and commerce. And, you know, we're all in it together. It's, uh, it's tough, no matter how you look at it. Of course. Yeah. Well, I agree with that completely. And that, to be honest, that could be a whole different discussion we can have. Hopefully, sure. we can have offline because honestly, I would love to talk to you about that. I think that's such a great, sure. a really good point you've raised. I think that's such an interest. I think that, actually, maybe that's something I should talk about more in my actual podcast, in terms actual podcast, in terms of my actual, in the actual questions I ask in the podcast in terms of this is But then the problem is that's such a big topic that could be like a whole hour discussion. Maybe I'd actually, maybe that should be an artist panel discussion. Maybe that's all. I'd be interested too, because I'd love to hear what people have to say about it. Let me put that down, capitalism. So my next question for you, what's some typing stuff? So my next question for you is, and it's, I'm going to only ask you probably like another three more questions, um, is in your opinion, what makes a good piece of art? And the second part to that is, what was the last piece of art or media that you saw that had an impact on you? Um... Let me answer the second half yeah. first. Um, I'm not sure I know how to pronounce his, his name. A lot of people know about this guy already, but I just recently discovered the work of uh, this painter, Marc Maggiore, I think is how you say it. Uh, he's a French painter living in America, but he, he does these, uh, I can send you a link, but he does yeah. these 
um, beautiful paintings of sort of life in the, the old west. Um, so a lot of cowboys and Indians kind of stuff. It's almost like it throws back to an older time. <clears throat> but um, I think his use of color and light it was the last thing I saw that just stunned me. Just absolutely. I mean, you kind of need to look at this stuff to know what I'm saying. But um, yeah, it was definitely his work that really got me last. Uh, although I'm kind of like you, I'm looking at... <laughs> new things every day and yeah. especially since i've embarked on this sort of visual um art side of things a lot there's a lot that i had not been paying attention to so everything is just a new thing every day with me but definitely mark maggiore check out his work if you haven't and then uh, my mouse stopped working here the first part of the question what was it again what makes a good piece of art yes in your opinion what makes a good piece of art that is such a tough question um, because I believe in the process so much more than the outcome. Um, there's kind of two sides to that. So for me personally, um, on the other side of the, the personal growth that happens while you're making it, um, it's a feeling that you've learned something about the world you live in. And then I guess on the flip side uh, for the audience, Hopefully it's doing the same for them. Um, I'm kind of traditional and kind of boring in the sense that I really love beauty for beauty's sake and sort of shining a light on um, God's creation as it is, uh, I guess you could say. Um, for me, making that piece of art is kind of a, a way, to, a very small and humble way, but a way to interact with that bigger um, flow of the universe and then hopefully a successful piece of art is something you know it when you go to a good concert and there's those moments of transcendence where the you know people are almost throwing their arms up almost almost it's not it's not church but it's very church-like it's this overwhelming sense that that moment is transcending this life and sort of poking a hole into this this veil somewhere that leads to the next i think that's what makes a good piece of art whether we're talking about music or visual art in itself that's kind of the way i would put it it's ineffable ineffable is sort of like the the essence of it anyway which means that you can't really put it into words but there's something very spiritual about a good piece of art to me so my penultimate question unfortunately sure. unfortunately my penultimate question <laughs> is what do you think your art says about you? Uh, this is a little bit of a cop-out, but that what I just said, I really feel, uh, I hope that's what it says about me, that I'm a person that is interested in trying to poke those holes in the fabric of just the everyday and the mundane to sort of let, let the light in. Um, for me, as a spiritual person and a person of faith, that light comes from God. Um, but God can be a lot of different things to different people, I, I think. Um, but since I get to be, you know, um, self-centered answering this one, <laughs> I hope that's what it says about me, that uh, I'm in the, the business of um, taking the meaning of life seriously. <laughs> uh, 
you know, art is my bridge um, to whatever's out there. And um, it's everything to me. Well, I really love that. I really love that a lot. I'm very sad to say this, but the last question, um, which is a double borrow question, but it's the last question is, what are you currently working on? And where can people find more about you and your work? Okay. Um, well, Asha and I are working on the next Glowworm album, um, slowly but surely. And you can find, I think I'm probably most active on Instagram. So you can find me there at um, Glowworm Music. That's two W's, two M's, or you can go to glowwormmusic.com and hear some of the work we've done. Um, more immediately, we've got a, a new track coming out on the 15th of October this month uh, as a part of a compilation with a bunch of really amazing people uh, on a record label called No No OX or N-O-O-X um, in France. And it's based on the works of uh, the author Haruki Murakami. Oh. Who I'm a big I'm a big fan of. I, you said you're a reader, so you probably know. Yes, he wrote one Q84, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. I so, like that. that. That's one. Yeah, I like that book. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I'm actually going to buy that as a birthday present for my brother. But it, he's not going to listen to this. Thank goodness. This not this will be out way after. So thank goodness. It's a um, that's a great book. Um, yeah, yeah. This it's a compilation. It's going to be really cool. You should check this out. Um, the people send me send me the link to it when it comes out. Okay, I will. Um, yeah, some of my friends, uh, there's about five or six of us. So it's an EP, but um, each person kind of took a theme or a different um, idea from one of his books and did a piece on it. So ours uh, is called Bird Catcher, and it came from the Wind Up Bird Chronicle, which is one of my favorites of his. Uh, so that's coming out. And we've got a couple of remixes we've done of uh, friends coming out later in the year, and then hopefully the next full length album will be out probably late 2022 that's absolutely perfect you know what kevin i've had an absolutely great time and i'm so glad i've met you same like, thank here. you so much like, like seriously like thank you so much like i really appreciate it that concludes the second and final part of my conversation with kevin scott davis thank you very much for listening if you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email at theflyingfruitball at gmail.com or our social media sites such as Twitter and Instagram. The Flying Fruitball podcast can be found on a variety of sites such as Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, or whatever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please consider rating, reviewing, sharing, or subscribing on any of those platforms to help us spread the word. Don't forget to check out www.theflyingfruitball.co.uk for daily art inspiration and written interviews. Also, if you're a creative, please get in touch for a chance to be featured or interviewed. We now also have a Patreon if you're interested in supporting the platform further. Tears start from £1, and you can find more information at patreon.com forward slash the flying fruit bowl. Once again, thank you very much for listening to this episode today. And until next time, folks, please stay safe. <laughs>